Hi, this is Bruce Fenton, and this is Wrecked. Hello and welcome to Wrecked Podcast. I am Bunchy alongside Crypto Chamber. Chamber, how are you, buddy? I am doing fantastic on this beautiful morning in April. What day uh, is it, though? <laughs> I have no idea. I, I assume it's April. Uh, there was a thunderstorm last night in my area, uh, which only means that uh, April showers bring May flowers. Uh, we so can only hope, right? That's that's it. We have a fantastic guest with us today. Uh, you know him for sure from Twitter. We have uh, Mr. Bruce Fenton making his second appearance on Rec Podcast. Bruce, how you doing? Great. How are you guys doing? Wonderful. So those of you who don't know, uh, Bruce is also the CEO of Chainstone Labs, Atlantic Financial, um, and he has been probably one of the most vocal voices on in the space about everything that's been going on in the world with uh, coronavirus and everything that it has been affecting outside of that. So uh, welcome, Bruce. How are you holding up with everything that's going on out there? Well, I can't complain. I'm holding up all right. And uh, it's certainly a time of change for everybody, though. Really, uh, epic history in the making and uh, so it's very very interesting and i think scary for everybody but i think there's a lot of uh, things to be optimistic about on the other side of this thing uh, we can only hope right so right. I, I i wanted to have you on because I, I said to chamber the other day i'm like we need to get bruce back on the show because uh for me, well, first of all, we've been talking here on the show about, you know, everything that's been going on with the virus and how it's affecting everyday life and the markets and all of that kind of stuff for, for quite some time. Um, and quite honestly, you were probably one of the people that I first saw, you know, in, in our space making, uh, kind of sounding the alarms. So, uh, you kind of got me on the train pretty early, uh, in terms of, okay, this is a big deal. We need to do something about it. And uh, actually, I, like to the point where I sounded like a crazy person to my own family and friends. <laughs> and uh, however, the other day I did get a uh, a phone call from my father with the the very nice "You were right," which was Ooh. nice. <laughs> yeah, which was big. So it's like we've five tracking, You know, we've been tracking Chambers' uh, thoughts on this too. Who's you know we have him on a scale of one to five on how serious he's been taking the whole thing. Chamber, let's check in with you. What are, where where are you at on your scale? Uh, I gotta tell you, I think wh where were we? Uh, where were we on last update? You were on full five mode last. Was time. I full five? Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm come. I've come down from five um, since the last time we spoke. Uh, that being said, though, I think we recorded on Friday, uh, and I was in a fairly chipper mood. But towards the end of the day on Friday, we got like a mass email from like the corporate uh, my, my corporate company um, saying that there's possibly going to be like thirty percent layoffs, uh, and I'm like, oh. That's not as fun now. Um, I <laughs> yeah. don't think I don't think it applies necessarily to me, but uh, you know, it's still not great to have on a Friday afternoon. Sure. Um, I, I'm. I feel. I don't know. I feel a little bit better. I would say uh, maybe like a four point seven right now. Yeah. All right. So that's pretty high up there. So Bruce, yeah. I uh, I found a tweet here that I think that you actually you also liked it this morning, and I feel like this is very much uh, applicable to the way I feel, the way probably most of us feel, maybe the way you feel. Um, but basically what it is, is it's a Venn diagram, right? And there's three rings to it. And it's it says, one, people taking COVID-19 seriously. Two, people worried about the expansion of authoritarian government policies. And three, people concerned about uh, impending economic devastation. And then me, which is right in the middle of all three. Um, I feel like that's kind of the evolution that you've taken throughout all of this, right? So, uh, you know, back in, you were tweeting about this back in, uh, I would say, maybe early, f as early as early February, and gone through, uh, I would say, quite a um, 
trajectory and your feelings about how everything's being handled. Would you care to care to kind of give us some light on that? Sure. I think that Venn diagram is kind of the perfect example of explaining how I feel about this. The other day I said that the biggest virus in 2020 is not going to be the virus, it's going to be authoritarianism. And some people got it, but some people took that as me discounting the virus. I'm not discounting the virus. I've been in quarantine longer than anyone I know. Since before any country other than China had quarantines, I've been in quarantine. I took my kids out of school weeks before any school was even considering taking people out. So I do take the virus very, very seriously. But That doesn't mean that I don't take authoritarianism even more seriously. We have to look at both things. There are drawbacks of giving government great power. And historically, it's been a very, very bad thing for the people of the world when governments have great authoritarianism. And we can say why there's the reason and we know what's going on with the virus. But the fact is... We are less free right now than we have ever been before. And government is bigger than it's ever been before. And it just got bigger in the last month. And it's taken more power. And that is a bad thing. And if you don't count that in your risk return analysis, there is no easy choices here. There is no good choices. But if you think that the choice is, hey, let's just have total authoritarianism and solve the virus, uh, A, it may not solve the virus. And B, even if it does, Either way, you've got to look at the other side of it. There is a risk. It's, it's a non-zero risk of death, destruction, and misery because of this authoritarianism that we are enabling. So I do take the virus very, very seriously, but I just don't think that government is the solution. And I think that when you have authoritarianism, when you have uh, bureaucrats making it illegal to buy seeds and illegal to make gardens, and you have a a father getting handcuffed in a park in front of his six-year-old daughter, and you have a surfer getting shot at, these are all things that have happened in the last week. That's not my America, and that's not worth living in. You got, we have a saying here in New Hampshire, our state motto is give me liberty or give me death. And that was written in a time when that really mattered. And it still does matter. I have no interest in living in North Korea. If I thought that I could get away from the virus and keep me and my family safe and we had to live there for 10 years, I'm not doing it. I'm a free person and I'm going to live free. And I will not take this kind of tyranny and authoritarianism doesn't mean I don't care about the virus. I do care about it. I think we should all have self-responsibility and we should all uh, you know, really take it seriously and look out for other people. So that's pretty much how I feel about that. Yeah. So it's interesting because uh, quite honestly, like just speaking for myself, as I, as I mentioned before, you were probably one of the, the people that were um, you know, tweeting about this and, and making people aware of the virus and its severity um, you know, long before anybody, I would say, in the United States was really taking it as seriously as obviously we are now. And so I think, um, you know, there was, you know, tweets that you would put out early in March where you're saying, hey, you know, we need to stay home. We need to stop the spread. We need to close things down. We need to shut, uh, you know, we need to cancel events. We need to do that. And then, uh, you know, recently, I feel like you, you know, the shift has happened majorly to, okay, well, now we're at the line of authoritarianism. So I guess where did the, like, where does the line cross for you between, okay, let's cancel things, let's cancel school, let's take people out to, okay, well, now you, you know, what, this is too far. So where, where, cause I feel like there was a, a clear point where you kind of said, all right, now enough's enough. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I think that, and that's a really good point. The, the world is nuanced and it is, there, there is no good choices. So it's, it's, it's kind of a big gray area. It's not as simple as, uh, you know, let's have no government involvement or let's have all government involvement. We don't know what will solve things. We don't know. We don't even know how serious the virus is. We don't know whether all these lockdowns will even work. Um, you know, maybe maybe the virus is going to be terrible even with the lockdowns. Maybe it's not as bad as we think with or without the lockdowns. We just don't know. But what sort of change, and I do regret some of the early things that I said, I was never big on you know, total authoritarianism that we, the kind of thing we have now. I wasn't advocating for, you know, keeping people inside, not allowing walks and things like that. But I did advocate shutting down schools and government offices. And early, early on, when we had some of these huge events like Emerald City Comic Con and uh, March you know, some Madness, RIP. <laughs> yeah, some of these other things. I did 
uh, break from my normal kind of totally, um, you know, small government philosophy. And I did, uh, you know, sort of support uh, government officials shutting down these events. And the reason for that is because, again, the world is complex. It's the logistics of it. Events, big events like that can't trigger their insurance policy unless they have, you know, uh, certain things in their contract where it's, it's you know, canceled, you know, without their control. So, so actually, governments shutting down uh, these events, I think, was probably a net good thing early on. Um, but I do sort of regret some of the, the early, um, you, you know, uh, calls of warning that I had because what we've seen now is this morphing into this very bad authoritarianism. The other thing was at the time when I was calling for it early on, we could have uh, had a much better impact on stopping the virus. Uh, I went in, if, if everybody would have gone into quarantine when I went into quarantine, this would have been over two weeks ago. Sure. I mean, think about think about that. If the whole country would have, you know, if, if somehow I had an uh, advisor to the president and in you know, early February, I could have just said, okay, everybody take a two week vacation and go home. It would have, everything would have been kind of all right. It would be over by now. As the crisis has, the health crisis has expanded. And as there's been more and more cases, it's harder to do that. And it only would be effective for a very, very short time. So I was advocating kind of, and I, and I was never really big into the, um, you know, wholesale kind of authoritarianism we see now, but uh, like I said, I did support, you know, early shutdowns of schools because there's certain things, you know, only government can shut down schools, only government can order certain things to close government offices and these kind of things. But now we're beyond that. One of the turning points for me was when Andrew Cuomo said this may last nine months. That immediately lost me. Immediately, the minute he said that, I said, nope, 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 I'm not on board for that. You cannot do this for nine months because it ruins everything we know. And it's not a matter of, oh, I'm a, you know, Wall Street capitalist and I don't get human life. No, no, no. It's because I understand the economy that I do value human life greatly. And I know even better than I knew the virus. You know, I happen to happen to call the virus severity uh, because I understand risk. But viruses isn't my field. Uh, I had I had a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of experience working in a hospital when I was younger, but not, nothing, you know, nothing really professional, whereas the economy is something that I do work on. And I'm telling anybody who's listening right now, uh, bad economics can kill a lot more people than a virus. And so can bad government. Bad governments have killed 300 million of their own people over the last century. And bad economics, mark my words, I've, been, I've studied economics all over the world. I've worked with some of the poorest countries. I've been to poor countries. I've been to Pakistan. I've been all over the world. I've worked with rich people, poor people, and I've seen it firsthand. And I'm telling you, bad economics kills probably more certainly than almost anything else because it, it, it compounds everything. It makes healthcare worse. Life expectancy goes down. These are stats that we know. And it's also miserable. You know, who wants to live in North Korea? Who wants to live in a third world country? Who wants to live in a second world country? It's it's bad. It's bad for our, our, our sanity, our mental health, our quality of life, our food supply, our human happiness, and it's bad for our lives. People die a lot more in really poor places. They die bad in bad economies, even the United States. When we've had really bad economies, we've had huge number of suicides, higher crime rates, uh, just overall worse medical care, uh, lower life expectancy. It's a very serious thing. So I, I, it's not that I don't care about life and I care about the stock market more. It's because I care about life that I care about these economics. And we, we have to... Uh, work on ways to to keep both going and do and do things in a in a safe way and give people the the freedom to take the risks that they choose to. So the way the way everything is happening right now, because uh, obviously I think we would all agree, right, that balance is the key to everything, right? It's not one way or another on okay, we need to shut everything down or we need to be totally uh let this thing just go willy-nilly. What what what's the balance you see be as an acceptable uh kind of medium here? I mean, uh or or is there none? 
it comes down to personal responsibility and it comes down to making hard choices. As I said, no choices are easy. Humans, some humans, whether it's the president or governors or ideally ag actual individuals in this country and every other country have to make decisions about what risk they can take and what human life is worth and who lives or dies. And that sounds heavy, but that's the reality of the world. Firefighter chiefs make that decision all the time. Uh, we have to decide who lives and who dies and how many people it is acceptable to have die and what price there is. It's not as simple as saying like, oh, let the government do this and we'll all be safe. If we wanted to do that, we could all be in a prison. We could save a million lives a year annually by outlawing driving. A million people in the world, 40,000 in the United States, a million people are killed in car accidents. You just ban cars, you save a million people. And even the high-end estimates you know, are, are, are um, you know, we may not even see that from this virus. So we, we really need to kind of figure out what, you know, what level of this is acceptable. If we say, is this level of lockdown acceptable for a year to save 10 people? No, of course not. Is it worth it to save 100,000 people? Well, maybe, but each person, what about three weeks? What about two years? What about 10 years? We need to ask these hard questions. And we have, we've lacked personal responsibility in this country and the world for so long. We've had it so easy for so long that so many people looked for somebody else to solve it. Oh, let's make the president make this decision or the governor. And it, regardless of your politics, whether you're for or against him, a lot of people are trying to put this on the president or they put this on the governors because they don't want to make those hard decisions themselves. They don't want to have the personal responsibility to say, okay, this is worth it, this is worth it, and people are going to die. Because either way, people are going to die. There is no uh, world where you say, oh, the government's going to save the day and nobody's going to die. If we continue on this path, people will die. People have already died. There was a sur The surfer wasn't, um, I don't think he was killed and it was in Costa Rica, but you're going to have people killed by police for violating these orders. You're going to have people die because of bad economies. You're going to have suicides because people are so lonely or because they can't feed their family. Uh, you know, unemployment and and uh, suicide has a huge correlation. You need to consider these things. There's no simple answer. And in a soundbite world and a soundbite culture, everybody's looking for somebody else to save them. So we need more personal responsibility. And people have, all of us, to collectively as a society, we have got to decide, not the president, we've got to decide how many people are we willing to have die one way or another. Either way, it's going to be bad. We open every single thing up, people are going to die from the virus. If we close everything down, people are going to die from bad economics. And they're also going to have depression and, and the, the world as we know it doesn't work. And that's the other thing that people should recognize. This isn't some kind of staycation, you know, oh, it's fun, we're hanging at home watching Netflix and eating macaroni. No, this is a global economic meltdown. This is a very, very serious thing, and it is absolutely, completely unsustainable. Some of us who are working from home have kind of this illusion of comfort where it doesn't seem that bad. It seems like you're kind of, you know, home, home, staying home for a few weeks. We have to recognize that we are in the midst of the biggest global economic crisis we've ever seen. Every single one of us, I don't care if you're a billionaire or somebody who's unemployed from a restaurant, every single one of us is in an economic fight for our lives like we've never seen before. And we've got to realize that. So it's a serious thing. And I think that it, it comes down to personal responsibility. And with that is everybody taking their own idea of what their risk is. I uh, said earlier today that I'm scared about the virus. I'm terrified of it. I was terrified of it when I first heard about it. That's why I was talking about it so much. People thought I was crazy. I have vulnerable people in my family. I'm very scared of it. But my fear doesn't give me the right to wreck your freedom. I don't have a right to take your freedom because of my fear. And government, it's not government's job to make me not afraid. If I'm afraid of getting mugged or I'm afraid of the virus or I'm afraid of uh, whatever. Some, some fears are irrational. There are people who are afraid of certain races or nationalities. There are people who are afraid of inter interracial marriage. That's their Clowns. problem. That's, that's their problem. You know, that's their problem. Fear is your problem. 
It's your problem whether you're fear. You know, I'm a fearful person. I, I, I'm scared of risk, you know, but that's my problem. I got I have vulnerable family members. My daughter has severe allergies. She can't even be around a dog. So I'm, that's my problem. That's my family's problem. We're it's our responsibility to keep her safe. It's not everybody else's responsibility. I, I can't go and have some edict to, to kill all the dogs or ban all the dogs or whatever, even if it would make me safe. It's not government's responsibility to allay our fear. And that's a hard thing for people to get over in a world where we've been so used to uh, farming out all our responsibilities to other people, even our responsibilities to live. You know, we're now talking about people just saying like, oh, well, you know, we'll just stay home and collect a check. Economy doesn't work that way. We need personal responsibility. We need to be able to do the things that we need to do to have the world work. Interesting. Yeah. Chamber, what do you what do you got here? Uh, actually, that's a. I mean, Bruce, you're you're bringing up terrific points here, and I agree. Uh, I, I agree mostly across the board. Uh, my one question, though, is: is this, you know, considering we're talking about a pandemic, uh, it's a it's a worldwide issue. Is this really the time to be, you know, banking on personal responsibilities? Uh, I mean, I'm just I look out my window, I see a bunch of you know mouth breathing troglodytes walking around. You know, with, without a care in the world. Uh, obviously, yourself, you're taking your personal responsibility. You have been taking that for quite some time. But I would almost argue that the vast majority, I live in here in Canada. Uh, I have to imagine the population is, is fairly similar as far as, you know, what the communities are. Uh, but I would say the vast majority of people in, in my area have, you know, you're 100% right. They have no personal responsibility. They think they have these independent thoughts and aren't really aren't really putting the the greater good of the community or the freaking human race for that for that matter into account and they're really just caring about you know what how their lives is affected um don't we need kind of bigger government right now to tell those uh mouth breathers to kind of shut up and stay in the house and because i don't think they're going to make that logical leap on their own what are your thoughts on that so here's the thing your, your premise and forgive, is that, and, for, and forgive me for mouth breathing troglodytes. <laughs> no, some you, the premise is right. Some people are mouth breathing troglodytes. Some people are evil, and some people are stupid, and some people are self centered. We all agree on that, right? Right. I would say so. Yes. Do you think politicians are an exception? They are not. No. Politicians are just as evil and stupid as everybody else. Maybe even more. Maybe, Possibly. maybe, maybe even more. If it's 2% or 10% of the population that is evil and stupid, politicians, it's going to be 2% or 10%. Maybe 20, maybe more. Maybe, maybe we'll, maybe you love politicians. You say, you know what? Politicians are twice as good as the average human. Average human, 2% are evil. Only 1% of politicians are evil. Guess what? That 1% is why we cannot allow this because if people are evil or stupid, now's the last time you want to be giving power to people who might be evil or stupid. And believe me, there is evil and stupid people here. One of the things, one of the other things that has concerned me in this as this has unfolded, early on when I was one of the only, you know, we're, we're one of the early people looking at this, everything was, or most of it was based on truth. People were trying to seek out the truth. How bad is this? What's going on? What's the truth? There are now people who have a motivation that isn't to the truth. Their motivation is their agenda. They're looking at this right. saying, how can I twist this situation to get more power? And they don't care about life. So people will make stupid decisions. You know, there's a there's a city council member in New York who runs the health uh, committee in New York City named Mark Levine. This guy's like a character from an Ayn Rand novel. You know, in, in February, he said, we have to defy the virus. Come to Chinatown and go to the parade. He said that twice. And then he says, no testing. I'm not going to get tested. And now he's saying, we need internment camps. We need to lock people up and we're going to have mass graves in the park. This is a dangerous kind of person. And one bureaucrat like that can cost a huge number of lives. So if you, if you believe that people are evil or stupid, and I agree, there's a whole bunch of stupid people. If we let people have freedom, a whole bunch of people are going to get do stupid things. They're going to get people killed. They're going to go on there. You know, you saw St. Patrick's Day. Everybody knew mm -hmm. the virus was serious. People were partying at St. Patrick's Day like fools. Well, guess what? Some of those same fools can be politicians. And I would much rather trust a whole bunch of idiot mouth-breathing troglodytes than one, <laughs> than one evil politician. Because the, the mouth-breathing troglodytes can only do so much. A politician, one politician can kill 10 million people. 
It's happened in history. It's happened again and again and again in history. Mass death, hundreds of thousands of people, Pol Pot, Hitler, Stalin, Lenin. This is real evil. And that only happens when we enable these people. So for the very reason that you said, because some percentage, some small percentage, hopefully, small percentage of people are really stupid and really evil, that's all the more reason we have to say, oh boy, we can't give any power to anybody because they might be evil or stupid. And now is re definitely not a time to be messing around with having somebody have authoritarian power over you if they're evil or stupid. Whoever is responsible for banning the sale of seeds is evil, evil, pure evil. If you're banning the sale of seeds in, a, in the midst of an impending food crisis, you're saying you can't have a garden, evil. Everybody in that chain of command, everybody from the grocery store who is obeying that order to the state and local and federal government, all the way up the chain, everybody in that chain is evil. And I wouldn't trust that person. If you, if you talk and show me some politician who's banning gardening seeds, I don't trust that person as far as I could throw them. I'd rather jump in a crowd of, uh, of, of idiots than trust that person with power over me and my family any day of the week. Because they have a power that the, that the other idiots don't have. The regular general public who right. are evil and stupid, they can't marshal the National Guard to shoot you. They can't bring uh, police to kill you. They can't put you in a cage. Uh, but a, but a politician can. So I think it's 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 and again, no easy solution. It sucks that there is any evil and stupid people. It's like you you have you have a, a you know one evil or you have another evil. And I think that the evil of the of a potential bad politician is much greater threat. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be another Hitler. It can just be sort of a worse version of the status quo. In the United States, we already have more people in prisons than the Soviet Union had in gulags. So, and we have, uh, you know, more people killed by police in the United States every year than Al Qaeda and the Taliban have killed in the last, you know, 15 years. So we have to we have to worry about uh, the abuse of power as well. I think. That's interesting. I, I, I love the hashtag mouth-breathing troglodytes, Jay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure. I, I, you've convinced me, Bruce. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 100% uh, involved in, uh, in your camp now. Um, the, I, I think the interesting thing, too, in the point you made pr prior is, you know, the balance between what, how, like, how many people could die from, you know, something like just the virus if we just did nothing versus what could happen in a situation where there is an economic uh, depression or meltdown. And I think, you know, when I think about this and you watch the, you watch, you know, these press conferences and stuff with the president and you got somebody like Dr. Fauci up there who's basically saying, his he's saying this is the facts about the virus and in order to you know uh stop the virus we need to do x and meanwhile you got trump on the other side which is basically the economic portion where he's saying hey look you know we gotta that it's all well and good but eventually we've got to go back to doing what we were doing and i think you know what you see from the general public at least in my opinion is they are easily more easily wrapping their head around what they perceive as just cold hard science facts about uh, from a doctor about a virus right and i think the majority of people do not understand what a the the potential economic impact and what that could mean as far as lives it, in the same vein, uh, do you, you know, what do you think about that sentiment? Yeah, for sure. Part of it is that, you know, more than half the country just doesn't get economics. They just don't understand. Right, exactly. That's and, exactly my point, right? <laughs> and so there's a, there's a lot of people who just don't, they think that it's perfectly viable to say, well, I, you know, I was working and now I'm at home watching Netflix and I got a check. That's not viable. And they're going to really, I think a lot of people are going to get a, an economics lesson, a very painful one. And hopefully the lesson will be the right thing. They're going to realize how important it is to have the world work. All of these small and medium and large enterprises that employ so many people, it's not just about the employment, which is really, really, really significant. Employment's a very, very big deal. It's one of the biggest deals for most people in their whole life. It's like right up there with their family and 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 their loved ones and and it's kind of intertwined because the reason that most people work and and are employed is because they want to have a better life for the for their loved ones so employment's a very big deal but there are even other things that are that are an even bigger deal when you look at 
systemic risk and things like food supply and supply chains and just the way that things work. You have, um, you know, we, we're, I've been trying to prep ahead of the game for a while and advocate, you know, six weeks ago, I was advocating going to Costco and stocking up on stuff while the, and ordering things while the, 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 the um, wheels of the world are still greased. It's, they're not greased now. So there's problems now. We just bought some chickens. It, all the chickens are sold out and it's hard to buy chickens. And then we tried to buy a chicken hutch and we couldn't get a chicken hutch because all those places are, are you know, not open. And, and the, so you have these, even something is, and, and I use chickens as an example because that's about as basic as you can get. That's like homestead or living. If you can't get chickens, how do you think you're going to get your ham radio uh, when, if, the, if the communications go down? Or how are you going to get, you know, you have people with weapons shortages and, you know, all kinds of, of systemic things. When, they, when these things start to fall apart, a whole bunch of other star, stuff starts falling apart. What about when the firefighters can't get their boots? What about when the firefighters can't get other equipment? What about, you know, you can go on and on and on. You have secondary and third effects, uh, medicine shortages and all of these other things. The world sucks without industry and it sucks really, really bad. It sucks so bad that some people will feel that it's not worth living. And I don't mean that in exaggeration. That's a statistical fact. There are people who will kill themselves over this who were previously mentally healthy. They will kill themselves over this. It's going to be so bad. The economy is important. You need the world to work right. And it's not working right right now. It seems like it because so many of us can work from home. It seems like it's kind of normal. If you worked in Vegas at a casino, you probably have a little more impact right now. But it's still not quite there. It's only been a couple weeks, but it's completely unsustainable. In an economy, you need uh, consumption and production. And consumption is down a little bit. People are consuming less, but, but you can only consume so much less. You still need food. You need basic supplies. Uh, and the producing part has stopped. Um, you know, so it's an illusion to think like, oh, well, they'll just keep making the food and we'll be fine. No, the food is only a piece of it and the food isn't even working right. So you, you, you do have a lot of people that are going to get a painful economic lesson in this, in this process and, and learn, you know, it's, it, as you said, it's not just, um, you know, it's not just about the virus versus economics. It's looking at the bigger picture. And the reason that economics are harder to get, virus is easy to understand. It's like, here's a bad thing that might kill you. Look out, right. stay in. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to stay in. I'm going to make everybody else stay in. Okay. Economy is a little harder to see. And, and especially the virus of bad economics or communism uh, and, and, and government control and authoritarianism. That's harder to see. It's a silent killer. It doesn't happen as, as quickly. The government does, doesn't just come in usually and just you know start shooting people, although they certainly do that. What you, what you see is this uh, degradation in the way that your quality of life is. And you get to a point where you say, well, is this, is this what I wanted? How many lives is it worth to save where nothing works anymore? The, you know, people can't work and they can't get supplies and we have bread lines. We already have bread lines and things like that. So the overall kind of quality of life is important as well. And I don't mean quality of life like being comfortable. I mean quality of life like not being, you know, really, really, really crappy. I've been to, like I said, I've been to places where, you know, the people make $10 a day or $3 a day and their quality of life is is not comparable to ours. It's a really, really... Uh, you know, serious thing that we've got to look at. So we can't discount economics and we can't take, there's so many things we take for granted in how the world works. We've got to get past that and realize that, uh, you know, this whole ecosystem that we built in the world is very fragile and we've got to get that working as, as quickly as possible. So the the way to solve that, you'd ask, or the previous question you asked, like kind of how to solve that. One of the things to do is to be more creative about how we do social distancing. Government doesn't trust us. They think we're stupid. They thought we were, they knew masks were, were good, but they thought we were too stupid to use masks properly and save enough for the healthcare workers. So they just lied. And they've done that again and again. And they're doing it with the social distancing. Social distancing could be much more nuanced. And instead, they've had this ham-handed approach to say, you know, everybody's banned from doing everything. And what they should do is make it a little more nuanced and a little more complex. Say, yeah, your business can stay open if you're a solo practice. You know, I, I have a whole bunch of businesses I deal with that are just a solo practice. I needed some, it's, it's, not, it's so trivial now, but I, I was going to get some some uh, pictures framed for the office. That's something that somebody could do. It's just a one-person shop. There's that, there's no virus risk there. And even if there was, you could you can allay that with time. You could drop it off, put it in a safe location for, 
up to three days if you're really conservative, then they could fix the picture frames and then they could put it back and I could wait three days. At least it would be better than nothing. You could have somebody get their car detailed or you could have things delivered. You can lag it. You could put people on shift work. You could separate them by 10 or 20 feet within a factory. You can give them gloves and have separate bathrooms and anything's better than nothing. But this ham-handed approach of just saying, you know, everything is banned, that's partly because of disrespect that the government has for us. The better way to do it would have been to rely on self. And also they downplayed it because they were afraid that everybody would panic and instead it's really the government that's panicked. They should have told the truth. If Fauci would have come out in January and instead of say, and, and he said, I think it was January 27th, oh, this is nothing to worry about. I was angry, I was commenting on it. He's saying, oh, this is nothing to worry about. It's very, very low risk. He should have said the opposite. He said, this is horrible. They should have, instead of calling it a flu, they should have said, you know, this is airborne, you know, uh, HIV practically. It's a, it's, it's a really, really scary thing and you got to stay in. And then people would have stayed in voluntarily. We probably wouldn't have this, this problem. Same with masks. I mean, the data on masks, if we would have been using masks earlier, thousands of lives would be saved. So, uh, you know, that, that's where it comes back to that. Chamber, you got a question here? I was going to say, I love uh, airborne HIV, by the way. That's uh, another good one. Um, Well, it does. The SARS COVID, uh, SARS, it it does have some common DNA. That was one of the things that was being talked about earlier. So it wouldn't be that far of, uh, you know, far fetched of something to. I I do remember seeing the, uh, just more recently, I think it was either earlier this week or late last week, I remember seeing somebody brought up the Fauci um, January, you know. Did I send that to you? I don't know if you said, I, I just remember seeing it and yeah, you're 100% correct. Like he was de- definitely downplaying uh, the coronavirus while it was in China. Um, my question for you though, Bruce, is um, obviously, you know, you, you, you're, the, you, the knowledge you have on, on it is, is better than most. Um, I'm interested to know what your kind of, you know, uh, best case scenario, worst case scenario, uh, I guess are, and maybe kind of what your realistic scenarios are. Um, let's start with, you know, what's, what's the best case scenario? Uh, how long before we get back to some sort of normalcy? Yeah, it's all intertwined now. So the, the best case, worst case, it's, it's the virus and the economics and everything else and the freedom. They're all tied together now. You know, the crisis is now, I would say, you know, that Venn diagram you referenced might be sort of accurate. It might, might be a third uh, virus. You know, the crisis might be a third COVID and a third uh, economy and a third authoritarianism. You know, that's just a rough, you know, we don't know. Hopefully that'll change. Uh, best case would be that the virus um, is less lethal than many people thought. And that seems to be kind of the trend. The more testing is done, the lower that the, the case fatality ratio goes. You got to really watch like uh, uh, faulty numbers. You know, there's there's a lot of speculation that New York isn't counting numbers right. You know, the, there's there's it's hard to substantiate because the data is is wonky. But there's you know the, there's there's some data that looks like the number of pneumonia cases has almost dropped to zero. Uh, same time last year where, you know, it's sort of been replaced by COVID cases. Now, there's still more net death, but maybe it's maybe it's twice as bad as a bad year. Well, that's that's bad. And it's certainly tragic. And human life is tragic. But if it, if this is kind of like twice as bad as a bad flu year, well, that's that's a whole different thing than, you know, this is the end of the world sort of thing. That's why it's so crucial to get good data. So the best thing that could happen is we start to see this you know, kind of better data, you know, good data, bad data, everything kind of kind of goes down and, and, and we see less cases and, and we and we and people see the negatives of this shutdown. And we we kind of we're not going to return to normal. There is no normal. The old world is gone. But we could see a um, you know reduction in these mass lockdowns and things like that, uh, combined with good data that shows that it's it's not as dangerous as we thought. And we've kind of controlled it. Uh, treatment would be great if there's if the, you know some of these medications and other things help it get treated then that that helps as well um, and then the economy it's going to be a long time it'll be years before it recovers but those could be good growth years you know that's sort of right. best case scenario um, worst case scenario is uh, you know virus continues to ravage uh, horrible uh, loss of life combined and and they kind of go to, to hand in hand if we do have that it's a lot less likely that the restrictions will be lifted the longer they continue the more businesses go out of business and once they're out of business you have capital destruction you know with capital creation you can take a cake 
And you could take $5 worth of ingredients and you can make a cake that's worth $10. And that new $5 has come out of nowhere. Just like if you take 100,000 worth of land and 100,000 worth of wood, you build a house, it could be worth 300,000. You've created money from nothing. And that's the way businesses are and ideas and everything else. Capital creation. Well, capital destruction is the opposite. You have a business that might have been worth a, a million dollars and now it's out of business. The million dollars is gone. It's off the balance sheet of the world. There's less wealth. There's less money. There's less plenty in the world. And that's really, really bad. So the best case would, would, would be if we kind of rebuild those things. The worst case is if we see that continue to fall apart to the stage where um, it's even harder to restart. It is very hard to restart these things. And when you have, you know, mass, mass, mass unemployment, the restaurant doesn't go back into business because the restaurant owner has no capital. Nobody will loan them the capital, can't get the equipment, can't afford the lease. The landlord's in trouble. And then even if he starts the restaurant, um, she's, she or he is not going to have customers uh, like they used to. So, so it's a very bad uh, situation when you have this cycle of it. Uh, and, and the worst case would be continued authoritarianism, where you've given this massive power to governments and they just lock it down with biosurveillance. And, you know, there's there's now talk about, you know, you're going to get kind of green zoned if you have antibodies or not. Well, once you have government have that kind of authority, it's only a very small step for them to say, you know what, anything that a doctor orders is the law and you can't appeal it. If the doctor orders it, and you violate it, you're going to jail. That sounds good. That sounds good to a lot of people. Well, it's it's not because then politicians, doctors become politicians and they become political, politicized. And doctors, for example, who are against uh, guns, you know, in the United States, we had this movement for a lot of time where doctors were trying to ask, do you have guns in your home? They were trying to make uh, firearms part of the domain of public health. Well, that's real bad if you get in a situation where politicians are controlling public health and you have you know, basically trials without recourse and without appeal where they just say you're dangerous, uh, whether you're coughing on somebody or whether you own a handgun, you're dangerous and you're going away. Maybe we don't like the pot smokers and maybe we don't like your lifestyle. Maybe we don't like your your uh, sexual orientation. You know, who knows what, it, it, you know, power can be abused. And historically, when you give absolute power to people, it's abused. You may love Dr. Fauci, but if you go and give him vast powers, you're only two politicians away from some evil person having that power. And we also don't know. We don't know about Fauci. You know, anybody can become evil if they have enough power. So you got to really, really watch this kind of creep. Uh, and that would be sort of a worst case scenario. If we, we, we are in an authoritarian state right now. We are we are in uh, we are in the same level of freedom that people had in uh, you know, occupied uh, uh, France in, in World War II when the Nazis occupied. That's the same, you know, we have roughly this, you know, checklist, you can't leave your home. Now, you can justify it and you can say, oh, it's only temporary, blah, blah, blah. But we have to face that reality. The status quo right now is not freedom. The status quo is authoritarianism. And we have to break out of that or it will continue. And if it continues, uh, if history is any judge of it, then it's it's misery for uh, a lot of people and, and a lot of death. Uh, for a lot of people. The other thing that could be bad out of this is secondary and third effects. We've got to look at geopolitical issues. We could have a major war, you know, typically after a great crisis like this, there has been wars, World War One, World War Two. Um, you know, we, the, the whole world is shifting up. The, the crisis that we're in right now isn't the crisis. I think this is the appetizer, unfortunately, not to be negative, but I think this is only the beginning of it. And I think it will get much, much, much worse. That's interesting. Great. So if if you <laughs> nighttime, nighttime anxiety go <laughs> <laughs> if you so you know right now where we're at in the U.S. is April thirtieth as far as you know the uh, kind of guidelines for people to stay inside, social distance, work from home, all that stuff. If we were able to. If that were to be lifted by the end of April, is uh, is this like economic, you know, doomsday avoidable? Is it or or do you just see it as being it's just going to get pushed off and all of that stuff? The economic doomsday is is here. It's inevitable, and the wheels have already come off the car. The car's going down the highway at 120 miles an hour. And the wheel just fell off. And so kinda, what should people be doing? Well, you really want to 
you for one thing you want to be a prepper a lot of people think like oh i'm a prepper now i went to costco no costco is not a prepper that's that's just normal now uh that's that's what you have to do to survive you're not a prepper you, 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 if you want to be a prepper, you got to plan for the emergency. We, just because we're in one doesn't mean like you, there's no other emergency. You got to plan for the next emergency. You got to plan for 10x worse than this. 10x worse than this. You got to plan for things being much, much worse. You got to say, what happens if I wake up tomorrow and there's a notice from the government saying that internet has been shut down until further notice, stay inside? Well, then what? What do you do? Like, we're not having our podcast. You're not looking it up. Oh, I'm going to go look on Twitter and see what there's. No, you're not. You know, we, we have to plan for worst case scenarios. What if there's food shortages, real food shortages? You know, that leads to crime. That leads to you have to plan. So the, the first thing that people should do is be planning for the worst planning. You should always plan for the worst. That's why, you know, even years before this, I said it was you know, I was kind of a prepper before I said, make sense to plan for the worst emergency. We're in an emergency now. We have to plan for that 10 X. We have to say, well, what if there's a global war? This is why a lot of people don't understand, by the way about the the military and some of the actions that trump is doing and stuff this is no joke right now this isn't this isn't 2017 we we are in a very very precarious place in the world and we could have global war erupt instantly i mean it's it's everybody in the world just like somebody can get in a fist fight in the walmart parking lot the globe can do that too all it takes is a little bit, uh, you know, you know, a little bit here and there. You know, this this captain was just relieved from the aircraft carrier because he revealed secret information. I think he should be because we're in a crisis right now. This is this is high alert status. We could have a global war right now, and and so you have to plan on these kind of things. Plan on uh, your finances. You can't depend on anything. You can't depend on the old world. You can't depend that your bank says that you have money and it's really there. You can't depend that you're going to be able to get it. You can't depend that your food is going to last. You can't depend on the government to help you. You have to be as self-sufficient as possible and take as much responsibility as you can and and take care of yourself and your loved ones and make a network too. We've become very insulated and separate and we've broken away from our you know, long-standing 10, 20,000 year human history of being in tribes and relying on each other. We've all become independent individuals, which has some advantages, but in times like this, it has some drawbacks. So I encourage people to have a strong network, have as much self-sufficiency as they can, have their funds and their, their money diversified and, and uh, you know, looking at, at safe ways to kind of manage risk and then also managing personal risk. You know, have, be concerned about your personal safety, have backup plans, have plans if you need to move, have plans if you lose your job and then have backup plans beyond that. That's what I think everybody needs to do um, because it, it, I think it will get much worse. And then the economic situation, like I say, the tire has already fallen off the car. Uh, we're in this crisis. Real estate will crash. There's just, you know, even if we go back to work on April 30th, it doesn't return to normal. The old world is is broken and it's gone forever. And that is a cataclysmic shift in the way that the world works. It's a very, very big deal. Hopefully it'll come out all right. My optimistic thing would be we we see recovery, you know, over the next year and we start to we're not again, not going to be normal again, but we start to return to growth. We could have some very good growth years. The 20s could be Great. And I think at least at worst, I think the last half of the 20s are going to be really great times in human history. We're going to have a lot of innovation, a lot of growth and a lot of uh, positivity, I hope. Uh, but it's going to be some rocky road in between. You got to prepare for that. You got to prepare for the worst. As shocking as this is, you got to prepare for the next thing. Very, very interesting. I think, well, at least a glimmer of hope for some roaring 20s at the end. I needed that. I needed that. I'm going to be honest. So, like, uh, I hope I get a little sprinkle of hope there at the end. So thank you very much for that, Bruce. But I think that is a perfect place to wrap up. Bruce, thank you so much for your time this morning. I, uh, Chamber, what did you think of this conversation? I mean, this is the quintessential quarantine conversation. I tried to alliterate that as best I could, but... Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think this was better than uh, anticipated. Uh, Bruce, you gave us a tremendous insight on uh, you know from your your perspective, uh, which is uh, which was fantastic. Uh, but yeah, very pleased uh, with this conversation. Chamber, go buy some chickens. I I don't I think I'm I'm told you can't. I'm told they're in short supply. <laughs> I, I honestly thought you meant just chicken, uh, and then I realized I realized about no, thirty no, seconds, and I think he means chickens. real chickens. Yes, actual chickens. Yes, because that's what you need if the food's. I know. Down, oh, geez. Right, I'm gonna there try. Like, go. I'm gonna get some pigeons or something. I'll, I'll figure it out. 
All right. Well, Bruce, any last uh, anything else you want to say before we get going? Yeah, it's a time of it's a time of 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 it's a scary time. It's a time of shakeup and it's a time of change. But we we don't want to go back to the old world. The old world wasn't as good as it could be. The fact is that we've had this you know complete wiping of the board and a new world to start we can build it better than it was and the positive part about this is that we're going to rebuild no matter how long this lasts no matter how bad it is uh it's it will end there is a light at the end of the tunnel and at and 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 with that light is going to come a lot of innovation a lot of technology a lot of new things we're going to have the world is going to work better in many ways than it ever has before and and it's going to be very very exciting and we can tear down some of these old broken systems that have plagued us for for decades where those systems are gone the institutions that we used to trust and rely on are broken the financial system that we had is broken but it wasn't a good system anyway we can build a new system now and it's it's all up to us to roll up our sleeves and get out there and build this new world we're at war and we're also at a war to rebuild to rebuild the economy every single person if you're laid off you've got to go get a job uh, don't wait for the old thing to come back. We've got to go out and build this new world right now. Whatever your business plan was, if it's interrupted or whatever, you go out and you build the new world. And the new world's going to be good. It's going to be a good time. And uh, we're going to look back at this and we're never, ever going to forget this. Time will be measured by this pre-virus, post-virus. But the post-virus part, eventually there will be positivity that comes out of this. And we're all going to come out of this much, much stronger. Awesome. I I would agree. Let's uh let's do it then. But uh Bruce, appreciate your time. Uh just where can people find you on Twitter if they aren't already? Yeah, Twitter is Bruce Fenton and my uh my website is the same brucefenton.com. And awesome. uh happy to be, hear from anybody anytime. Awesome. Uh, yeah, you just gave out your cell phone number the other day. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> uh, awesome. Thank you so much, Bruce. We Thank really you. appreciate all the time. Um, and we'll hope to have you on uh, another time to kind of maybe we could get a little update uh, a we'll couple do, months down the we'll road, do a, see where we'll we're We'll do a at. postmortem or something after yeah. all this is done. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's going to do it for us. And until next time, don't get wrecked. And that is financial advice. And I'm sorry for cutting you off, Bunchu. You are the funnier host. And uh, keep doing a great job. Thank you. Don't get wrecked. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. You can help support us by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and become a wrecked patron by signing up for a monthly tier on Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com forward slash wrecked podcast. Don't get wrecked.